From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. In the beginning of the pandemic, when health officials told us to limit our interactions with people, many of us retreated to our homes and stayed there sheltering in place. But what did people do if they didn't have homes? To find out, I'm speaking with Dr. David Lehman. He's a Distinguished Service Professor of Medicine at Upstate who brings medical care to the homeless through a street medicine program. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Lehman. Thanks very much. I've heard that people who are homeless have a higher risk of dying from COVID-19 if they become infected. And I wonder if that's true, why is that? Well, you have to understand the, the uh, background of the population. The actually, so step back for a second from COVID and just think of the uh, rates of death on folks in the street. So, and this is a national figure and Syracuse is right in the, right at the, the, the exact same figures. So approximately, once you, if a person remains in the street, let's say you see that person, you touch that person, I administer the person, I give them meds or, uh, that as soon as that contact is made in your own mind, you have a, the, the average length of lifespan of that person remaining on the street is two years and seven months, okay? And uh, this cuts across all age groups. Obviously, it'll be older and more, it will be shorter in older individuals, but this is a life-threatening condition if you want to think of it that way. Um, so, and those are because of the debilitating uh, sleeping outside, the toll that it takes, the trauma that it has, lack of safety, the, uh, and then the substance use, alcoholism, as well as psychiatric conditions that all set up these folks. Um, they don't have, so they, so they have that set up. So just because of their debilitation living on the street per se would make them at a higher risk. And would that also go for someone who sleeps at a shelter but spends a lot of their time right. on the streets? So let's so let's shift now from the demographic of the the type of person. I'm sorry. So like the the specific um, comorbid, let's say the comorbidities of the street person. So think of that as analogous to what you hear all the time in the news: diabetes and heart failure and that kind of stuff, making those obesity, making those patients at a high risk for COVID. Now we're gonna talk about communicability or transmissibility. So in the shelters, there was a study out of Boston early on in the epidemic in, uh, in March that in asymptomatic individuals, there was about a 30% positive rate and then when they tested everybody in the shelter in Boston, one of the first uh, areas of the country that has a uh, shelter program for homeless. and um, and so that really, you know, you can think of it, it's, it's indoors, it's close quarters, et cetera. And so that was a, a big red flag early on. You were quoted earlier in the year about your greatest fear being that the disease could gain a foothold in one of the shelters and spread onto the street. What has prevented that from happening in Syracuse, at least? Well, um, so you're right that it hasn't. Uh, you know, my biggest fear was having sheltered, uh, the sheltered homeless who were in close quarters, um, you know, and indoors, et cetera. And that would have been the, the, the spread, could spread like wildfire, that's my concern. Early on in the pandemic, there was a, uh, a study out of Boston, which was kind of the grandfather of sheltered homeless 
treatment in, in, in the United States, found a 30% or so, I think around a 30% positivity rate, and they tested all patients, all uh, people in the shelters there in Boston, and that was kind of going off on that. That was in March. That was my concern here. And all I can say is is that, um, you know, from a, in, a, in general, I think it was just New York State and what we did in Onondaga County is reflective of New York, New York strong, that um, we really got to it and distance masking, all the different type of mitigation factors that are just important, uh, we got on it and really cut the, the rate overall here, uh, March, April, uh, time period, May. And so, and then in a microcosm, the three shelters, the three adult shelters in Syracuse, uh, 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 really got with it and and uh, uh, was intensively screening, masking, mitigation factors, deep cleaning, et cetera, at that, and that really has not popped up as a uh, as an issue. Um, so I'm very proud of, in general, our, our citizens of, of Onondaga County, as well as uh, proud of the shelters and what kind of hard work they did to, to have this rescue mission, Salvation Army, and Catholic Charities Men's Shelter. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. David Lehman about how the pandemic is affecting the homeless in Syracuse. Now, before the pandemic, you had teamed up with John Tamino from In My Father's Kitchen, and you were going with him when he delivers meals to the homeless so that you could provide medical care. Is that still going on? Oh, yeah. We've been doing this now. We'll be coming up on uh, three years next summer. So we've been going... <laughs> Up together, uh, so as a standard kind of issue, we still do that. I go out with him. I have a front-loaded uh, med bag uh, of antibiotics, blood pressure medicines, inhalers uh, uh, for direct street care to provide medicines directly to folks on the street. And uh, and then, obviously, I can link uh, with these guys to prescribe medicines at their pharmacies that they have. And about 75% of these guys have, have medical insurance. They just don't have a doctor. Um, so I'll treat people on the street um, directly uh, at, at, at the time that John gives them clothes and shoes and socks as well as food. Well, are there changes in the way that you're doing that or how do you protect yourself when you're, when you're doing right. this now? Right. So what we do is, and this was, uh, we had, we had a, I wouldn't say a spike, but I mean, I had, much more, much more activity, and uh, we had this conversation in April, for instance, March and April. I uh, I was really working on with folks because I was testing more. I test people on the street if they're if they're symptomatic, uh, uh, or if I get a request to be tested uh, to test. I have in my bag. I have uh, COVID test kits and that, and I run the samples through Upstate. Uh, laboratory. They prioritize homeless as a as a high risk group, so they have a we have a rapid turnaround time for that. And uh, there was an area uh, motel that the Department of, of uh, Social Services uh, would put people in who were tested either by me through the emergency department, either at Upstate or St. Joe's, one of the area hospitals. And once they're tested, they have to be quarantined while they're waiting results. I mean that's mandated. So. So they would put them, these folks, up in this motel, and then I would go out and make rounds every day on them, checking on them and seeing and waiting for their test results. So we had our peak, we had probably 15 people in the motel 
uh, and that kind of dwindled down uh, as the testing became more rapid turnaround, as well as the you know the mitigation factors, the stuff I talked about initially came into focus. So, so I was using full gown up mask, you know the whole thing, the PPE stuff. I was doing that to protect myself uh, as I when I examined these guys and tested them. So, do did the homeless population have a higher rate of infections than the general population? No, 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 no. Uh, and in fact, like I said, they it really didn't uh, pan out. Um, um, in my experience, um, I tested probably, oh my gosh, probably thirty or forty something like that, and they and I had two positive. Hmm. In my well, own personal testing. Are you advising uh, the uh, homeless people to wear masks? I mean, if they're outdoors, maybe Absolutely. that's not as necessary. Yep. But okay. Okay. well, I mean, it's it's. I think it's. I think we should, you know, go with definite with the recommendations of the governor and 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 uh, et cetera. These so that everybody should be masking. If they're in a group now. These guys will come up and they'll try to, you know, they'll they'll ask for money or they're asked for supplies from street from the if they're flying signs. Uh, on the street, they'll have interaction with passengers and drivers and cars and other people on the street, so they should be masked. We give out masks freely uh, to these guys. And hand sanitizer is that also yep, um, yep, recommended? Yep, okay. Yep. In the bag, in the in the bag that we have, I don't know exactly how many that John has in a given time, or you know, he has. That's part of the that's part of the process of giving out food and socks and other clothing, they'll have like a bag, a goodie bag with them and that. So, so as you've met with these, and it's mostly men, I, I believe. Uh, 85 what, to 90% are men, probably 85%. What are their feelings about the pandemic? Do they, are they, were they aware of it? Uh, do they, where do they get their information to be aware of something like a pandemic? I can't, uh, uh, I can't say uh, where they get their information from. Um, I, a lot of these guys have cell phones. Um, a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't. I mean, they're not, it's not anywhere near as the population at large having a cell phone. They don't have, you know, they, they didn't lose the, the um, get stolen or they have, they, have, they don't have a contract or whatever. So there's some, there's some cell phone usage and word of mouth. But I can tell you right up front, it was just like, you know anybody else? They were very aware of the of the pandemic. Um, we take their temperatures all the time, and they're ready to be. I mean, they they really did know about it uh, as early as we did, and they were quite concerned, particularly in the shelters because of the close contact of of that. So they got they got really en engaged in in trying to trying to get with the program. So I was very proud of that. So what instructions did you give them about if they were to, say, develop a cough or a fever in between the time they were yeah. able to see you? What instructions did you tell them to follow? Right, right. So they would contact us, and I would try to make I, – I, outside of my time seeing them, I would try to arrange a, me to test them and get a hold of the health department or the Department of Social Services and, and then put them in the shelter. That was not uh, feasible. Um, for instance, like the rescue mission had contacted me during working hours and I would test a couple of them in the parking lot. Not too far after the, the pandemic began, Syracuse Community Health Center began their testing 
which is about a block and a half from Rescue Mission as well. And so that folks would go there and get tested. And as soon as they would get tested, they would get uh, transported to this motel. So, and, and, and then the, the, the third tier would be, yeah, you got to go to the emergency department. Okay. Well, as we uh, are getting into fall, um, do you have any more concerns about, I mean, more of these people will be coming into shelters, correct, with the cold weather? Yes, yes, and I am concerned about that. I mean, that's, you know, I picked up uh, influenza in patients when I was testing in the shelters, um, and an influenza shot, the flu shots are just so important, and uh, that's kind of, that's something I would have to think about in terms of how to get these. I would hope that the that's something we should think about with uh, testing, uh, you know, getting their getting influenza vaccinations, and that's something the Department of Health made a big big push uh, late last year when there was a hepatitis A outbreak around the country in shelters, and that got going uh, for hepatitis A vaccination. So this similar. They, they have a process, I'm sure, about influenza shots. I just don't know. I don't know what that is in the shelters. Okay. But that's the one thing we could that could do, yeah. Well, let's talk about how people who are listening, uh, how they can help. Are there tangible things that this population needs now? Right. So as the weather gets colder, um, uh, John uh, is, has open, you know, is, is open for donations. Uh, the uh, the it, the donation should be in the in the form of warmer clothes, sweatshirts, sweatpants, warm socks, boots, etc. Um, they're very eager to have those donations, and they should be new. We like to give a uh, an impression to these guys that they're not second class citizens. So, so it should be new, you know, new pants, new new sweatshirts, new stuff. Uh, so that they get, they, you know, so because the, I can give them medical care, that John can give them food, but really the more I get into this kind of work, it's just about providing dignity. And if we give people dignity and feeling that they matter, uh, any little way we can do that, um, then they can hopefully turn the corner with some of this and get, get them on the road to housing and treatment for substance use, that kind of stuff. Would you say all adult sizes of clothing are needed? Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of, there's a lot of, there's the gamut. <laughs> that really is. Okay. And by uh, John, you mean John Tamino from In My Father's Kitchen. Correct. And his website, inmyfatherskitchen.org, has some more details on there as well. Well, thank you so much to Dr. David Lehman. He's a distinguished service professor of medicine at Upstate, taking care of the homeless. This is Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.